185 miles south a hardcore punk rock podcast Hey everyone, welcome back. This is going to be week two of the Todd Jones podcast. If you want to support the show, please like, rate, and review, and uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please share this with all your friends and family and anyone you know who enjoys hardcore music. Um, or shit, I guess now with heavy metal too. Todd's done it all. Um, yeah, and if you want to seriously support the show, and toss down some of your money, uh, you can check out patreon.com slash 185 miles south. And uh, that way you contribute a little bit of money every month to keep the cost of this show covered so we can keep it going for you. And uh, with that, you can cancel any time or you know, do what you do, man. Whatever you can do to help out is much appreciated. I love you all. Here is uh, part two of the Todd Jones podcast. So, what about the other guys? Like, how do they feel about like doing the tour when he's not? Yeah, strange? man. I mean, that's something. Or they didn't know. I mean, Corey didn't know, and that's something like I always felt a lot of guilt about. Like, uh-huh. I didn't tell Corey, and Corey was, or he was like at that time, definitely like one of my main dudes. You know what I mean? Like, me and him hung out a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think he was staying on my staying at me in my apartment for a while, and it was just like I didn't tell him because. You know, I didn't really want to tell anybody. I just wanted to fucking get this thing. I wanted to play these shows and get out of the way because I knew it wasn't going to fucking last. You know what I mean? I was smart enough to know it's like a straight edge band without a straight edge singer isn't happening. (laughs) Yeah. And did you not consider replacing him? Ah, fuck no. No. No way. No. No. You can. No, Ryan. I mean, dude, come on. You've seen Ryan. He's a fucking great front man. You can't fucking replace Ryan. He's a good front man. Mm hmm. Um, did you guys ever take any shit for like people thinking he was emulating West too much? Oh, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I didn't. I, I don't like nobody actually ever said anything. I think it was people on message boards probably made fun of us. Yeah, but those, I mean, they probably had a different agenda in the first. Did you get mad at someone? Like someone had a fucked up shirt? Like wasn't there a carry on the line? Oh, okay, yeah. So you got um, mad at someone? Yeah, definitely. I mean, someone made a shirt. Someone from Florida made a shirt. That Is that had, on that tour? Like you saw no, it? this happened like four years later. Oh, three four years, years later. after. Yeah, this is like after the fact. Someone, okay. someone made a shirt that had the carry-on logo from the line is drawn seven inch and put like three Coke lines and yeah. a razor blade said the line is drawn. And like, yeah, I mean, that fucking bothered me because carry-on is something that like, you know, I, I have a lot of like fond memories of. And it's like, I, you know, you don't ever want to see some someone someone disrespect your shit like that that sucks like make a shirt dog with your logo on it and it was still like sore it's before you did the reunion show i mean i'd still be mad about it now if someone yeah yeah absolutely like it's a pretty good i mean i would i would i would not like contact a a person and threaten them no 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 or find them or whatever but i but like i would take it personal and i would remember who that person was yeah yeah i think it's a fair dig that's fine yeah but whatever i mean yeah i mean you know but it is, it, it's also like go back to talk about like the, the dude from uh, teamwork. Like, why take the time and the effort to put out that negative energy? Like, you're gonna go and design and then print a shirt to talk shit. Yeah, that's pretty like extreme. Like, it's it's, it's why don't you like 
call your mom and tell her you love her. <laughs> you know, like I mean, that's dude. one way to look at it. I get it, man. I get it because the thing is, like, you know, a lot of a lot of straight edge people and a lot of hardcore people, you know, feel slighted because they did like the record, and then fucking, you know, by the time they get to the end of the record, someone's already telling them the singer sold out. It's like. As like a straight edge hardcore person, like you'll be like, "What the fuck? This isn't real. This sucks." Yeah, like that's a huge fucking diminishing thing for a straight edge hardcore band. Like, I know it makes it look like, you know, did you even believe these words at all? You know, I mean, I know Ryan did, but I just he just it is so close though. Like the it's recording so close, to yeah. breaking up, yeah, like, absolutely. But what I mean, that's it's just what happened. It's how it was, and it, that doesn't make it any less. That doesn't make it any better for me. <laughs> no, you <laughs> know what I'm saying. Your like, situation is fucked. I mean, it, like all of ours was. It wasn't just me. It was me and Corey. No, you and, and Corey. You and, and Corey. And but like, it, you know, it, yeah. So it, 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 I don't know, man. Okay, so let's move a little out of like the timeline and let's wrap up. Carry on. Okay. So it's how many years later you do? You called them the last shows. Yeah. So we 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 build them as the last shows. We don't want to call it a reunion because at that time, especially a lot of bands were getting back and doing reunions. Like mm-hmm. we were like. Look like okay. So you asked when it was. It was the weekend of July fourth in two thousand five. It was somewhere in that time frame. I think it was like July fifth and sixth. So like show. four years after the LP yep. came out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, about four years after the album came out, we did it at the Showcase Theater and mm-hmm. um, two nights. Two nights. Yeah, they were Jesus. really great shows. Yeah, <laughs> that's so sick. Yeah, dude. I mean, we. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we we were aware of of you know like uh, people liked Carry On and you know nobody really got a chance to see us after that album came mm-hmm. out. So it was like. You know, we thought, well, we can do two shows. Let's just try two shows. And they both sold out, and they were both a lot of fun. They were great. Um, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but, you know, that those shows gave me the closure I needed. Like, you know, any sort of negative feelings I had or any, you know, towards towards Ryan for not being straight edge or or just really at all. You know, I, 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 I got a chance to play those songs again, and, and it was fine. It was good. I liked it. It was great. But, yeah, we didn't want to call it a reunion. It was just we just called them the final shows. Yeah. It's... It's weird though that many people showing up to like support something when like the lyric like it's I don't know like he did break edge and you're singing the songs and it's like this is weird and so there's like that many people signing off on like this is cool. Well, I mean, you could look at it that way, but I think it has a lot more to do with the fact is that, you know, whatever, you know, Ryan felt about Straight Edge um when he was straight edge, I mean, was pure and it was real. And, and that record is powerful regardless of the fact is if he wasn't straight edge after it came out or yeah. not, you know what I mean? And I think that's really, that's really all it comes down to is people wanted to see those songs played live by the band that made the songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, I, you know, you bring up a fair point. It's like, like people are coming here and, sing along to these songs that are overtly straight edge uh, with someone who's not straight edge, but it's just, you know, I, I, I think it had just more to do with like a more primitive feeling. You're just wanting to see those, those songs. I, I just, I understand both sides of it. It's just, it's, it's a really weird thing to think about to me because it's like, I don't know. I, I like, I care about lyrics mm-hmm. a lot and like hardcore is, it's supposed to be more than music, right? It's more than just, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, it really depends on how people think of it. Like, there are a lot of people that like. It's just I like hardcore music. This is the music I like, and the lyrics can take a fucking back seat. And that's no, I that's know a totally all, honest way of been, looking about. You've it, always right? been passionate about the message. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, I'm aware, and I agree. And I, so that's just weird to me that like, I don't know. It's it's like 
part of me, like, when that happened and it was so big and, like, no one really cared, it was like, dude, like, part of hardcore is, like, dead right now because the lyrics don't fucking matter. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And then it's like, if if you pull out the lyrics and, like, the sincerity of hardcore mattering and then it's just, like, a style of music, then... I don't know. It's just, it's a completely different thing. Mm. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, that was just like my take on it. Although man, I'm so sympathetic to your situation of like not having closure. Like I cannot imagine uh-huh. doing the full record and not being able to like play off it. Yeah. It was, that's that fucked was a, up. That was a bit of a yeah shitty thing, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that, that's my take. And I'm only, I'm only one person. No, I gotcha. So, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I not really. Not, I don't know if unfortunately or not. It's just kind of how it is. It's like I, I agree. I think anybody coming from like the hardcore punk scene, I think you should fucking stand for something. Mm-hmm. Whether and it's in you, whatever you stand for is you know what you choose. And um, I mean, I, just like I said, I think it just. I think it's just a testament to the fact that yeah, hardcore and punk rock should definitely should definitely you should definitely stand for something. But it is also a testament to the fact that. Yo, dude, sometimes, sometimes some of this shit is just music. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with just writing music that kicks ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but it is like one of those reasons why I feel like everyone over maybe 35 and hardcore, like now we all like universally think like Earth Crisis rules. You know, oh. like even if like, even if you weren't like super like a super earth crisis fan in the nineties. Yeah. In fact, a lot of us didn't More, like, this I stuff. wasn't a huge earth crisis fan. I love the firestorm seven inch and that's about it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man is like a hardcore dude that like I'll turn 40 in January. Like to look at like that commitment and like those dudes are the shit. Those are still vegan straight. Yeah. Yeah. They are the shit. That's yeah. Right. yeah. And it's like, they were fucking right. And so when people were taking swipes at them in the, in 94, 95, it's like, dude, they, proved you wrong and yeah. like that's so fucking dope yeah i agree you know yeah. anyway absolutely but that's so dope you, you two nights selling out showcase yeah it was a for dream. you especially yeah, it when great. it's like i want to play showcase yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and you yeah. felt like you couldn't break out of the pch so that's a heavy win now how soon after the carry-on breakup do you do terror oh dude like that month that's so sick dude so so what happened was so what happened was, is, is Carry On played our last show in December. And like, you, already, you already had Nick Jet. Nick Jet, did he yeah. play Did he play the East Coast tour or did he only play the Troubadour show? He played the East Coast tour. East Coast tour. So what happened is, is um, when Carry On got home from recording our album, Lucas called and said, hey, I'm out of the band. Right. <laughs> I think his goal was just to record an album. And I, I think I don't, which is fine, whatever. He did so, a great job. Yeah, he did. And then um, we met Nick. Through Sean Grine, me and Corey, of uh, uh, somebody me and me and Corey are friends with, or we're we used to hang out with a lot at least at that particular time, and and because they were in a band, Sean and Nick were. F- I, yes. I think they went to high school and or were in a band. Okay, I saw their band play Headline, and I can't remember the name. Oh my god, really? Yeah, because they covered Strife. I was like, oh shit, covering Strife. You're thinking of Anthony, the little Anthony. He, Maybe he was in a band. I, th- I, I saw Nick's band pre. I think Nick was in it too. Okay, uh, dude, that was kind of that's kind of hazy. But we, I met Nick through Sean. Okay, and we, you know, tried him out. And he's a great drummer, and he played with us. And, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, Nick went on that tour and played our last show with us. And 
And I think December 10th was the last show at the Troubadours, at least, you know, sometime around that era of December. And at the time, John LaCroix from 10 Yard Fight was living in California and had a website, had his own like website, like johnlacroix.com or something. And it said, I'm living in California. Me and Scott Vogel are doing a band. We need a drummer. So I hit him up and I was like, hey, dude, uh, I've got a drummer who's fucking awesome, but do you need, but you know, I, 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 but I come along. Like, yeah, package deal yeah exactly. I was like, <laughs> what do you got going on? And, 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 uh, that was like, dude, that was like within a week of, of carry on breaking up. And, uh, and we got together with Scott John couldn't make it. And, um, and me and Nick and Scott got together and we, that month. So December of 2001, we started, we just got together and decided, yeah, okay. you know, we're going to do this band. Was your, did you jam or you just got together no, and we talked? Jammed. No, we jammed. We so played. was your first jam a three piece? Yeah. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. John couldn't make it. He was somewhere, he was somewhere else. I think he was outside of California or outside of Southern California. And, um, the three of us were there and we, we played some music together and I don't think any actual terror tunes that became terror tunes came out of that session, but you know, we all got along well and we all liked the same, we, we liked a lot of same things and, and got along. And so Scott was living in Arizona and he drove out to, you know, where Nick lived in Granada Hills mm-hmm. and, and, and we decided we were going to do this band. Yeah. yeah. And then does John ever practice with you or you get the shark attack dude? Um, well, John never ended up being in the band. I think we, I think we, I think Scott, what happened was that Scott came out from Arizona twice in a row when mm-hmm. Scott or, and John wasn't able to, to make either of those rehearsals. So I think we just decided to move on without him. Yeah. Um, so it was the three of us. And then I was living with Matt Smith who played in shark attack and rain on the parade. And, 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 you know, we, we got him as a bass player and we wrote the demo, played some songs, went on tour. Did he play on the rain on the parade seven inches? Uh, he didn't play on the body bag record, but I think he was, he was in the band for the full speed ahead record. Yeah. Did he know your nickname for a while was body bag? Oh no, I didn't <laughs> think so. That wasn't something that I thought I really carried with me after I, I should ask you, like, we should have talked about that. Like that seven. Okay. Going back to like 96, 97, like the youth crew revival, that record hit with you. Two records did that record particularly in the floor punch record. I got those records. Um, I can't say back to back days, but back to back mail days. Yeah, like I got I got the floor punch seven inch on like December twenty sixth, nineteen ninety six. I got that in the mail, and I got the rain on the parades seven inch December twenty fourth. So like right before and after Christmas, and those records, yeah, you're right. They made a profound like like impact on me as like a fifteen year old kid. They're the wildest and the most catchy, don't you think? I never thought about them in terms from Wild, but Rain on the Parade well, it's definitely not like, was more choppy than all the other bands from that era. They're definitely faster. Yeah, and like, but the Floor Punch too. Like they'll do like a crazy beat, You're like right. straight into like just a sing along, and right. it's like songs over. Where like every other band, I mean, compare that to In My Eyes. Those guys are writing like real songs, yeah. or like In Sin or any of those bands. Like they're trying to write well thought out songs. Yeah, Floor Punch was more. You could tell Floor Punch was more about energy, but also like through the vocals and the lyric patterns and what everything else, like they were super fucking catchy songs. Yeah. And you're right. Ensign and in my eyes were more of like your traditional folk verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus over songs. Yeah. Floor punch were just fucking, you know, 
about Insane. moshing pretty much. Yeah. yeah, and then Rain on the Parade was like, what the fuck is this? Like every song is like pretty different. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah, but like those ones like really resonated. Yeah, I got Hardware Fanzine number 8 from from Fred, mm-hmm. from Fred Hammer and um I read that cover to cover and ordered some records out of that and I yeah. ordered, ordered those records out of it and yeah. Sick. So, sorry, jumping back to Terror. Oh, yeah, no problem. Okay. So you get uh Matt Smith. Yeah. And now you now you're a band. And now you're jamming. Yeah. We played our first show at Pat's Warehouse April twenty sixth of two thousand two. Yeah. And that's and you know we, we Which was also piece by piece's first show. That's right. Yeah. No. Yes. I bet you a dollar fool. <laughs> I, it was because it's 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 crazy because it's like both bands first shows and piece by piece headlined. And I miss I missed Terror and I saw Piece by Piece because Joe Rivas was printing the I think like the In Control plays the hits inserts. He worked at Kinko's. Yeah, you're right. And Terror played early. Yeah, I guess. And you're I missed right, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have pictures from that show. I actually saw them the other day. Um yeah, yeah, you're right. Piece by piece, terror, and maybe one or two other bands. Yeah. Playing the Pats. Super sick. And yeah. like packed already. Yeah. Like people did. knew. Yeah, I mean I mean that's the thing. Like Carry On had a bunch of hype and, and uh everybody was super um one thing about Terror that was like the perfect storm was, was, um, and now they're not as segregated as they were then. I think you'll agree, but like Scott had the crowd coming from the buried alive scene, the more heavier hardcore scene, and I had the crowd coming from the more faster carry on type scene. And I think that like those things combined, like I think people, I don't know, got people super interested in the band super fast. It's weird that it was like kind of different, but I feel like the, 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 the big breakthrough on that stuff was B9 doing the Death Threat LP. Oh, yeah. Bridge, yeah, Bridge Nine. I think I think a lot of it was that. I think Bridge Nine made it acceptable for, like, you know, people who are into youth crew to like Death Threat. We liked Death Threat. Well, of I mean, course. We, knew we were different. Demo. We're from Oxnard. Like, we're not following, yeah. like, what's okay to like. No, that's true. Yeah. You know? No, it's, like, true. totally different. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the B9 made it acceptable for, like straight laced hardcore kids to like enjoy something that's like a little on the tougher side. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Because do you remember like you had to remember Death Threat came through and they played Skate Street. Yeah, to nobody. To nobody. I was there. To like fifteen people. Yeah, that was August of two thousand. That was their first tour. Right. And they, then they then the the record gets released on B nine. It gets re-released, right? Because it came out as a CD first. That's right. Then B9 puts out like the vinyl. That's right. And next right? thing you know, and Death then they're touring with American Nightmare. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And they're, they can do 150, 200 kids. Easy. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, like literally B9 gave them like the, it's okay for like, like safe living white people to like this stuff. <laughs> you know, like. I think it has a lot to do with that, but also it has a lot to do with the times. Yeah. I think uh, like, because American Nightmare was the first band that was like. I think it was the first band that came from that, that, that would have been in the same world our bands played with that actually broke out and had uh, more appeal outside of just your standard DIY venues and and everything like that. They were kind of people who you know who were into other uh, more uh, bigger types of hardcore. Found out about them and liked them, and I just think you know Terror. I think I, I firmly believe Terror is is the band that kind of united the more. Um, you know, heavier hardcore with the more faster hardcore sound in regards to our culture, our circle of people. Cause that's when you started seeing like, I don't know. I feel like more, more um, faster hardcore bands 
got more attention during that era. And same thing with bands like Death Red, just like you're putting out like 25 to Life. We we saw them play at the at the barn and 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 JP's barn in Ohio in like 1998. I mean, there was only like 40 or 50 of us, and it was an amazing show. Yeah, but. Um, I feel like even after that tour, like in the early 2000s when they were touring more, they had like bigger crowds. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Terror, I mean, you, what can you say about them? It's like kind of the glue of, of, of everything, right? Kind of now. Like they, they do like mold like all those scenes together. And it's because it's... Because they were it's a so, unity band for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's so so active and like everyone... I don't know. Everyone still follows hardcore, yeah, right? They're not. Yeah. They're not washed up. No, like, not at all. To a man. No, I still like not like, washed up. No, I still. I still listen to every terror record that comes out and like it. Yeah. I listen to every terror record. Yeah. Good band, killer <laughs> yeah, band, one they, of the best yeah, bands. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, you do a demo. Yeah. And was that like it was a CDR demo? Yes. Yeah, so at the time, very of the time, very of the time. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Totally. Well, because people at that time were talking, so we're talking spring 2002, like not everybody, I didn't even know what an, an iPod was until like January 2003. Yeah, I think that No Motive, they went on tour in 2004 and wanted to use my van and they bought me an iPod to rent my van. That's awesome. Yeah, so like that's, this This is weird, dude. I can, I can track all the shit by my releases because I never tried to do anything like to be cool. I didn't care. Yeah. What, like the aesthetic of putting out like stuff. This is literally like the ease of putting it out. So in control demo is 99. Yeah. That's cassette. Cassette. Yep. Retaliate demo is 2002. CD. CD. Yeah. And then like I got an iPod in 04. So that's like the, <laughs> that's the lineage of tape, CD, MP3. Well, that's when people, that's when I think 2004 and 2003 and especially 2005 was when I felt people, the, like the mass majority of people got hip to downloading and, oh. using, and using stuff on their iPod. Was well, right around like that's high speed internet time, I think. Yeah. Cause like I was like behind the curve. I didn't get high speed internet until I think 06. So people, Holy probably, shit, people really? had it in like 04 and shit. I had it in like 2000. Yeah. yeah. That's sick. But um, yeah, well, I remember when I lived in North Hollywood. Like, I wanted to download uh, Freebird, and like, <laughs> and I had like the the low like the the free internet. Like, if you're low Net income, yeah. whatever, like the dial up shit, and it literally took like nine hours. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I remember those days. It was so worth it though. Yeah. The song, the second half of that song is a ripper. Yeah, it is absolutely. First half is what ifs. I love it all. You do? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's fucked up, dude. But on the forty-five, like they cut out all the good shit. Oh, it's I just the know. first part. I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not that. I want to put out a forty-five of only the second half of Freebird, <laughs> <laughs> the part that up. rips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when it kicks in. So the demo is that the same recording as like the the two song seven inch? No. So the demo was the demo. We recorded that in, in April, and we, you know, we it was another thing. We drop off a dat and. You know, buy. I think we bought like 500 CDs, mm-hmm. and we made the covers at Kinko's. Matt Smith designed them. We printed them out, cut them ourselves, packaged them, mailed them fucking everywhere. Yeah, like like I know Scott mailed like a box of 100 to Philadelphia just to give people, and it was um, we were just getting that fucking thing out. Um, but then we did that seven inch. That was two at the time. There were two new songs, and we had our buddy Scott press that up on his label, and that was meant to be like a, a small one time pressing, and. Uh, on takeover, yeah, takeover records, Scott's label, and then, um, and then you know when it came time to do like an actual 
record. We, mm -hmm. we just compiled all the songs we had, you know, so that's four from the demo, two from that two song seven inch. And then we had three songs that hadn't been recorded yet that yeah. we went, when we were at Mars. Um, we went to go record them for Lowest to the Low. Now, Lowest to the Low is nine songs. And two reasons why it wasn't 10 songs was I was insecure about making an album at that point for Terror. And I didn't think Terror as a band, we were at a point where it's like we should have made a demo and just came out with an album. I thought like a gradual build should have been like an EP. So it's like, all right, well, let's just record all the songs we have. We, we wrote the song Lowest to the Low in the in Nick's studio like before going out there to record it and I think we finished it at Mars yeah musically so like we only had nine songs like when we recorded Low to the Low those were the only nine songs we had otherwise I wish we would have wrote a tenth song and had that been like a ten song album or whatever yeah and you go to Mars to try to get like that OLC sound yeah basically but when we got there we learned that the drums weren't even recorded there where were they recorded some other studio like that the the I think there was two Mars. I think there was two Mars locations, and the one that we recorded at was the second one. And OLC was recording Crime Ridden Society as that place was getting built up. Oh, so they recorded so the drums at another studio. Yeah, like some like. Well, no, yeah, the first. I don't know what I don't know about the first one at all, yeah. but 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 they were the dude Bill Karecki, I believe the story is was that he was in between studios, so they did the drums at some studio and then they recorded everything else at, at you know, where, wherever Tara record low, so low. And so it's some city called Strongsville. I think it is. Their city is called Strongsville. There was a city. Yeah. In Ohio, Dude, that should be like Strongsville. I think that's where Mar I think that's actually like the city where Mars is. That should be the hardest fucking hardcore scene. That's there such is, a great, huh? it's such From a great Strongsville. Fo yeah, exactly. It's so sick. <laughs> Dude. Um, you can't get that chubby fresh sound though, because he plays, He's like doing that cheat, like the battery cheat. He's beat. not a good drummer. It's so Chubby meaty. Fresh wasn't a good drummer, but he was. He played with energy, and he and he could, he he did good. He did him, and that's what mattered. But yeah, he was a, what they call the cheat beat, where they hit the snare and the in the hi hat at the same time, yeah. as opposed to hitting the hi hat double time. Yeah, yeah. But it's so meaty and powerful, chunky, powerful. Yeah, it had energy. Yeah, I mean, dude, the drums on. Yeah, we could talk about Crime and Society. That would be a whole other podcast, which I would not be afraid to do. Well, how do they? Because you were, I mean, but you were trying to replicate the sound, so you should talk oh, we a little bit about it. We specifically, well, I'm sorry, yeah. Um, we specifically went to Mars because we were super into Integrity and One Life Crew and whatever other Cleveland band, Ringworm, The Promise. So, so did you that. ask them, like, how they got that, like, tone? You know what, dude? I'll tell you exactly what we did. We went there and we played them Hey Bree, Perseverance, and we said we want it to sound sort of like this and, yeah. and all the other shit you did because Perseverance had just come out at that time. Uh-huh. And... It, it, we loved that record, not just the songs, but the reproduction value, which is insane because I look back now and that record doesn't really sound that good compared to other Hatebreed records. Really? My opinion, yeah. Like the bass, the bass response isn't really that good. That's my opinion. But um, anyhow, we we were really super into that record, and we was like make it sound like One Life Crew and like this and mm -hmm. like like um, it's not Systems Overload, Who Manages the Devil? Yeah, and um, and you know the first two Earth or Firestorm was recorded there as well, and. Um, we were just marks for that studio. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, I mean, I don't know if we specifically said make a sound exactly like something, but it was yeah. just, it was, those were our influences at the time. We specifically, yes, we specifically went to Mars because of the lineage of bands that went there and because the recordings of those bands were so good. That's funny that you say you wanted to sound like humanity, not seasons or not systems well, overloaded. Systems overload. I, I personally like better. The recording. 
not the recording no. just as an album as music yeah i like systems overload better but um i agree but i think is sonically i do think humanity is a devil is a is yeah what is that that's like really hard to describe like just systems is a little i don't know darker yeah i would say it's darker a little not as bright not as bright and not as um you, you can't really hear you can't hear things as well i'm really not good like, but that's the closest one to sounding like oc yeah, I, I agree. Think. Yeah, I agree. You're probably right about that. But um, one of the things Bill Karecki said about systems overload was like they were all super. Everything was like very super layered, and he said his quote was, "It was like a forest of knobs." <laughs> like I guess they were they were drunk and they were mixing it together, and it was just a yeah. mess. But that record's great. Yeah, so great. So you do those nine songs, and it comes out. You do Bridge Nine again. That's right. Yeah, we were on Bridge Nine Records, and. Are you you're just totally happy with this stuff, right? Like this is sick. Well, Are, in regards to what the, your songwriting and like and oh the record we yeah. love the record. I mean, what, I remember, I what's remember. coming out like and and also like do you feel a little validation that like it's almost like you feel guilty that Terror is like super popular off the bat, but it's like you kind of deserve it because you build up the carry on shit, right? Oh, I see. And what, Scott yeah. deserves it from like a. A lifetime of bands as well yeah i mean and scott nick was, was part like of the 29 carry-on. years old yeah yeah like we like i was i was like 20 21 scott was like 28 29 nick's like one year younger than me so basically the same age and uh we were dude honestly i was just fucking psyched that i was playing big shows yeah and and, and everything was just a little bit easier and the songs I mean? are good right? i was psyched we listened to that record I, we we got that record and for some reason we had to travel back into canada to go pick up um Nick's double bass drum, and we listened to that record like three hours over and over and over again, just, just me in Nick a row. And Scott and we were just like, "Fuck!" Like yeah. we, we felt like I think we knew we made something like pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, you still feel like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I I, I hold. Yeah, when's the I last time solo in very high regard? When's the last time you listened to it? Probably five years ago. Yeah, that long. Yeah, I just I just haven't listened to it in a while. I just haven't. I guess I haven't had. Maybe I'll throw it on the car on the way home. But um. Yeah, dude. Look, dude, do. real hardcore kids listen to that record at least once every three months in <laughs> perpetuity, or you're fucking out. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. That that record was, I think, at the time, like a huge cultural thing for hardcore. Like that, yeah. like it definitely, um, it was a big thing. You know, I was just super happy to be part of it, and it was, su- it was just things were super easy for me. It totally bonded those two scenes, like you said. Yeah, right. Which and which but, made shows bigger. And, but who better to do it? Like it, it was like Scott's the perfect guy, and you're the perfect guy to do it, right? I get supposed. I don't know. I never well, thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's cool. It, okay, and so now you take off on you tour for like the first year straight, right? So yeah, like so when me and, and this Nick is something you've never done before. That's that's right. So when me and Nick and and Scott when we got together in December, one of Scott's thing was like, I want to do a band. Like I just want to do this. I want to do it full time. You know, we can do this. And uh, and you know, of course, to nineteen year old me, I was like, fuck, just go play hardcore and not have to have a job. This is I'm definitely going to do that. You know, it sounds like a dream. Yeah. And then we started touring and we didn't really stop, but we started touring like June of 2002. We did a, we did like a tour that took us into August. We did another tour in the fall that was like a month long. And then in January we did a month long tour. And then in April we did, it felt like we went from April to the end of August and, and I was just done. I was like, I I do not want to tour full time. I do not like, (laughs) I do not like this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. But to be like, I mean, it was just, it, it, 
it, I don't know, man, touring, touring, being on the road full time, man, I just, I learned a lot about myself during that period. And, and, and that's something I've never really gone back on. Like I've never wanted to tour full time since then. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Right? You yeah. figure it out quick and you didn't lie about it. You didn't fuck anything up. Well, you know, I mean, I think those guys were a little bit, I mean, you know, the terror train was fucking going full speed ahead at that time. And I think they were just, I think for them, it was like a, a knockback because it's like, you know, I mean, I hate to talk about myself at that time, but at that time I was kind of hot shit. Like I did the carry on album then we did the low, so low. And it's like, Oh, Todd Jones, the riff writer, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ugh. And I think at that time they were worried that me leaving the band was, you know, going to hurt them. And I mean, we can see from, from right now, it absolutely wasn't the case. I mean, Terror's been a successful band. Well, because they, they just never stopped yeah, writing never, and recording and hitting the road, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they're, they, Terror's doing what they've always wanted to do, which is tour full-time and fucking and be an awesome hardcore band. So there you go, they're successful. No, it's great. It's great that they were able to transition through all their lineups. They had a lot of... They went through a lot of lineups early. They went through a lot of lineups early, I think. I think they've had the same lineup now minus a bass player change since like 2008. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Like one member change in 11 years. But um, yeah, man, I mean, I was just fuck, man. I mean, I'm sure when I told those guys, I don't want to tour full time. I mean, they were just kind of like, fuck, what are we going to do? Like, yeah, gonna, but they, they were fine. Is that before you go and do the second record? I told them in April, okay. April, April of 2003, when we were at um, a festival in Europe and, I can't remember which festival it was, but um, I told him like, "Hey guys, I want to sit down and talk." And I was like, "I'm not, I'm not touring full time anymore." And at the time, the arrangement was is I was going to continue to help them write, which we did, and um, up until the record that we put out after that, which was uh, one with the underdogs. So, That's right. so what happened was is is I was in terror as a touring member until the end of August of 2003, mm-hmm. and you know, between the time we recorded "Low So Low," we were constantly trying to write songs. Um, we went into the studio in January of 2004 to, I think it was late January to record one with the underdogs. So we basically spent about a year trying to write a record in between touring and, um, you know, me and Nick and Carl and Scott were in the studio. Actually, I don't, I think I can't remember if Carl was there or not, but yeah, Carl was there. I, I went and recorded with Carl. Carl was at sound city. Uh, we recorded that record at Sound City in Van Nuys, which is a big major studio where, um, like, Nirvana recorded Nevermind there, Fleetwood Mac recorded stuff, just a, whatever, just some fucking Hollywood studio, whatever, North Hollywood. But um, we went there and recorded there and did the record, and um, that was pretty much, like, the end of my involvement in Terror. After that record was done, I was like, ah, I, that was pretty much it. Did you write the whole thing? I mean, you know, me and Scott and Nick did. Um, um it was was Nick writing riffs at that time? He wasn't writing riffs, I don't think. But we but they're were, still there in the room, approving or those guys, those guys were. Well, I mean, they were. I, I mean, I dude, I got a lot of raw ideas from Nick and Scott. Like yeah, like a lot of stuff. Like for instance, um, we, it was always the three of us. We were the big three creative guys in the band during my tenure in the band. And mm-hmm. that's not to take away from Doug or Carl or Rich or any of the other people who were in the band. It's just it just worked out like that. That's how it was. So. But we would be in the room, and for instance, I would play something, and Scott would be like, "That's cool." Like, let's, and I wouldn't even be thinking about it. He'd be like, "Let's try to do something with that." And 
you know, Nick would be like, well, I want to, I want to do a song that has a drum beat like this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it was, it was definitely there, all three of us in regards to writing riffs. I would say, yeah, I mean, I don't mean, I don't want to sound like I'm taking credit for it, but it, it was me mainly on the guitar writing all these like guitar. Yeah. But they're coming with ideas, but they need someone like you to filter them. through. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I need that. I have yeah. to, I have to talk to Roger. I need it too. Still. I mean, I mean, when I'm doing nails, like I have to take things to, to Taylor and, 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 all, and Leon and everybody. I'm like, does this sound cool? Yeah. It's like, so of course. Yeah. I mean, everybody needs a filter. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So you leave and then you do, you just kind of helping out your buddies. Like, were you in internal affairs or you just, Oh no. So, so, so yeah. So I wasn't, so, so I joined internal affairs. Um, can't remember if I was living with Corey at the point, but I mean, you know, me and Corey always had like, we were always friends through all this stuff. And, uh, I think it was sometime in 2004. So the same year I quit Terra, I think it was during the summertime and I think he needed a fill in for a show. And I was like, yo, man, I'll fill in. He's yeah. like, all right, cool. So, you know, we rehearsed, went to the rehearsal, did the show. And I just told him like, I'm not doing anything, man. He's like, I'll just, you know, I'll play with you whenever you want. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was in the band for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you did the, the, the first LP. With um, yeah. Yeah. Self-titled we, LP. Yeah. Yeah. On malfunction. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And then, you get a little itch and want to do something a little more melodic and do betrayed with Aram. Yeah, I was doing, I was doing internal affairs. And then when you and I moved in together, uh, okay. the, where was that place? We live Victor- off Victoria. Victoria arms. Victoria arms. It's fucking weird. Over Clarissa there swallows over there. It's all like, I don't know. There's a whole shopping center right across the no, street. No, it's super gentrified. But did that place get gentrified too? That apartment complex? <laughs> it still looks like shit. Well, it's just like, I don't, it's, it looks nicer, but they, they, I don't know. They paint it like white and yellow. Like yeah. it, it looks stupid. Well, the blue ghetto is not the blue ghetto anymore. I know. It's like a tan ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I think it's condos across. Nah, what is it? Because like that Lucky Shopping Center is not gone. There yeah, they tore down Lucky's like and all that shit. And it's fucking weird because that's where I like that's where I would hang out. I spent a lot of time in that area of Oxnard, like that whole West Side area is where I grew up. Yeah, I got jacked like at least twice. Trying to have people pimp beer at that liquor store and like that lucky spot. Oh my god! You know, like here's twenty bucks. Like you know, like get us beer. And, like the guy just runs out the back. What an asshole! <laughs> but whatever. But yeah, um, so like 2005, me and a Ram. Um, I I was doing internal affairs and a Ram. We just, just I don't know. We were good friends, and or, I mean, we are good friends, and we decided to uh, just do a band together. I mean, how how do you decide to do a band with someone that lives like? A thousand miles apart. That's a good question. Um, so I guess that was probably the first time I ever did that. Okay. And I think a big, I think a big inspiring moment for me to do that was because I had just bought an Apple computer and it had GarageBand on it. Oh, okay, great. So technology facilitates That's it. That's absolutely right. Yeah. 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 I bought a little Apple and I was making my own songs in GarageBand. Yeah. And uh, that's how we wrote that Betrayed record. I would, me and Aram would just send things back and forth. Yeah, the the first seven inch. Yeah. Okay, that's so cool. Yeah. And how did how did you recruit the other guys for the band? They were just our friends. Okay. Yeah. But it's mostly just you're doing everything. Yeah, I mean, Greg, Greg, uh, it's me and Ram are doing everything. Yeah, but I mean, I was writing the music, or Graham, Ram was writing the lyrics. So if Greg and then who played drums? Todd Proboski, who was the um, current um, drummer from Champion at the time. Okay. All right. Very good. And then so you do a seven inch, and that is on Bridge Nine. And then you do the LP, and that's on Kyle Whitlow's label, Rivalry. Oh, the LP was actually um, on Equal Vision. But at yeah. the time, 
you know oh EPs sign of the like, times again they're not doing vinyl they weren't doing vinyl at the time so so rivalry or maybe they were doing vinyl but it wasn't like a big selling point for them they were still you know slaying in cds and doing you gotta do a right. record on equal vision that's yeah cool. that's yeah, i never knew that yeah man that was like a really big deal for me because you know at the time of of us getting into hardcore you know there was victory records revelation and equal vision yeah so, you know equal vision now is obviously a little bit more indie rock leaning and it was i think it was already that way when betrayed was on it but it was still like i was wanted to put out a record on equal vision I you've never sad. done a rev record huh no you're gonna though at some point, huh? No. Why? Well, I mean, why? I'm in nails, and nails never gonna do a record with Rev. You're never gonna do another band. Uh, no, I don't want to do another band. You don't think I'll take a stab at like doing a a more straightforward hardcore band again? I think Fireburn was my last shot at that. I think I think you know, I, this is gonna sound fucked up, but I think people need to go away. <laughs> what? <laughs> like how? Well, I think, I, I, dude, you know, we've been talking about for the past almost two hours now of all these bands I've been in. It's like, I've been in so many goddamn bands. It's yeah. like, I, I've kind of had my shot to do, Fireburn was like my last shot to do like a fucking straightforward hardcore band. Yeah, but it was very incomplete. Oh, it was just incredibly incomplete. But but I I don't want to, I don't want to muck up the river with, with shit. You know what I mean? I think, you, you know. I mean, hardcore is not just a young man's game, especially now, but like, I just, I don't know, man. I just don't feel comfortable like starting all these bands. Like, I feel like I've done enough bands. I don't know. Do you ever get bummed out when like Matt Henderson starts a new band? No, fuck no. Exactly. So what the fuck? (laughs) I'm not mad. You know, it's like, oh, SOS, what's this? Like Matt Henderson's in a band. I'm buying it. Take my fucking money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, he's in a band with Sergio? Take my fucking money. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, no, dude. The the iconic riff writers of hardcore need to carry on. Uh. It's not like you're the <laughs> singer. You know, like, I, yeah, if you wanted to do another band, like, Nails, but a different style. Like, let's say you wanted to do Betrayed, and you're like, I'm going to sing and play guitar. Like, that might be a little much. Yeah, that would be, yeah. But if you're playing guitar all the time, who gives a shit? No, like, I don't I, I don't feel like I'm above hardcore. Certainly not. Absolutely fucking not. And I don't feel like... I don't I, just, I don't know, man. I just feel like maybe people are tired of hearing my name in that world. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think so. I think you got to eventually do a record on Rev, and then you've cleaned the slate. You've That'd been be on, pretty like, cool. Everything. That'd be pretty cool. I was, Snake Eyes did do a comp song on Revelation, so... Okay. I mean, that's not like... That's pretty close. That's like dipping my toes in the that's water. That's dipping the toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Betrayed... What's your take on the band? Oh, you, Betrayed was a lot of fun. Betrayed... I, dude, this is the thing. I've never done a band that was melodic. Yeah. And it's really... Um, there's a lot more places you can go when you do melodic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's it's it, Where maybe it's just a little bit... I, I had fun doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you do um, you do the melodic band, the punk band you play guitar in. Um, Somali. Yeah, Somali Pirates. Yeah. Like... I mean, would you agree that you kind of have like a wider berth of, of course. range in yeah, regards you, to playing guitar? Yes. If you're going to actually, well, yeah, Aram sang. Aram yeah. sang. He had some notes. But but yeah, it's, it's more melodic. But Somali is a little different in that, dude, if you're singing, like I was singing and hitting notes, yeah. you can have a song with two notes and it's not lame. Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. It's yeah. real easy. It's 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 easier to create maybe something more catchy or yeah. something more kind of like dig into, yeah. as opposed to just like right. Um, but um, oh, so for me as a guitar player, Betrayed was a lot of fun, and we, 
I mean, that first seven inch that we did on Bridge Nine, like we wrapped that up in like a month, like from song one to song six. To like, yeah, it's like you was... taking a stab at a new genre and just being able to knock it out of the park because like you have all these little riffy ideas from your whole lifetime. Yeah, basically, yeah. and that was and that was really like and, and and that was fun. So Betrayed was fun, but um, I mean, I you know I, I I just needed to do something a little bit more like angrier. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, no, for it. sure. For sure. It's kind of like internal affairs. Like when we were talking about internal affairs, like I wasn't, I was there and I definitely helped things along. But the, the thing is like internal affairs was mainly Corey's vision. It's Corey's and, I, and I think you would agree that if you were to put, like, it sounds like Corey, like yes. internal affairs is like, if you were to take <laughs> Corey and put him in a musical yes. form, like it would, that's internal affairs. And I didn't want to fuck that up. Sure. And it was kind of like, like. That, he's got this. So he, yeah, he's got this. All it's you can like, do is affect it. I'm just, and I'm he's just helping, rolling. I'm helping him yeah, push yeah. it along. I'm just helping him move it along. Yeah. What can I do to support Corey and make sure internal affairs is 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 seen the way he wants it to be seen, or yeah. his vision is is successfully put out there into the world? And then betrayed. It was just like we did this thing. It was fun and it was cool. And we, it, I think we probably wanted to do a little bit more than we did, but it just came to an end and. That was after that. I just that that was when I was kind of got into my late twenties, and um, I was kind of I, I didn't really know what I was really doing musically. I I, I knew I wanted to do something a little bit heavier, but I joined um, Blacklisted. Um, basically, what happened was is um, at the time uh, I think we're talking uh, two thousand six. I got laid off my job, and I went to Australia indefinitely. Like I only ended up being there for like a month and a half. But I I told Corey, I was like, Hey man, you know I'm going to Australia. And he's like, okay, well, you know, Internal Affairs has all these shows. We're going to get somebody else to play. It's like, okay, fine. It was, it was like an agreed upon. It wasn't like, you know, any weirdness or anything like that. But, um, and then when I came home, you know, they, that guy like had a role in the band. So who am I to say, like, you know, get the fuck out. I'm in the band. That, yeah. that, that wasn't happening. You know, I left and they, they filled the role, but I came back from Australia and um, I joined Blacklisted on second guitar. Sick. Yeah. I saw them at the Alpine and, um, you know, I was I was buddies with them already, and um, I don't know how the conversation got started. To be honest with you, I'm like I'm looking a, for something to do, and I may have approached them. Yeah, but um, but I was really into what they were doing, and they had put out they had just recorded a seven inch called War on Peace on Earth War on Stage, and that hadn't had come out yet. But I heard it, and I was pretty blown away by it. And um, I joined the band for that year, so for 2007, I didn't work at all. I got laid off of my job. Mm-hmm. I saved up you know, some money and I was drawing unemployment and for 2007, I didn't work at all. I just, I toured with blacklisted and, um, uh, recorded the record with them, um, heavier than heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, did you write anything on the record? No, no, that was another situation where it was like, you know, you guys are, you you guys are, you know, you, you guys got this train moving. I'm just here to support, to help, to help you keep moving. And, uh, so you did a whole year of touring. How, how would you compare that year of touring versus the terror year. So I would say that touring with blacklisted was a lot different. Well, because you know, I, for that whole year, I definitely didn't do anything other than tour with blacklisted, but really we only toured maybe like three or four months. Okay. Like it wasn't like every fucking month we're doing something. Yeah. It was basically me sitting on my couch in California and then flying out to Philadelphia or flying out wherever and meeting them. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, in October, I flew out to Philadelphia and stayed out there for two weeks while they were, they already had like the majority of the record written. And I went to them to rehearsal and learn the songs while they were writing them. And, um, and I was just kind of there, you know what I mean? And, and I recorded on the album and um, 
I don't know. It was a really awesome experience, but, but I was really inspired by the way that blacklisted really looked at things. They were, they were more kind of into, um, it didn't seem like they were focused on a lot of things. Like a lot of the other bands were really focused on that time. I think they were just really into being them. (laughs) Well, they came off very serious. I like that. Yeah, that's true. Like they weren't there to fuck around. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. They, those, those guys definitely stuck to themselves. Like they were friends. They were all friends with each other, um, from, from just being in a band, but it extended upon that. I mean, blacklisted would show up to shows and knock it out of the van. Like they, they were just like, and it wasn't just like, it wasn't like they were above anything. It was just like, dude, we, we're all friends. Like here we are. Yeah. Like we, I don't, I don't need to go make friends at the show or I don't need to go do this or, or pimp my band out or whatever. They had an approach where it was really just like, you know, we're here and we're not trying to shove this down your throat. If you want it, here we are. If you don't want it, fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I really admired that approach to their band. And that's something that I took with me. Um, so basically what happened is I recorded with, with blacklisted and I ran out of money, you know, and I didn't have a job mm-hmm. and I saved up a bunch of money for my job before. And it kind of, you know, I came to a point where I had to make a decision. Am I going to go live in Philadelphia and do this band and being blacklisted? Yeah. Or am I going to stay in California and get a fucking job? I mean, those are my choices at the time. And I chose to stay in California and get a job. Um, I don't necessarily know if anything was holding me back at that point point to do that i'm actually kind of surprised i didn't move out there and do the band with them now talking back in in retrospect but um i stayed home I you had like, to do something that was yours you i think that's a, you, you know you're off you know from the, doing something that was yours you're absolutely right i think that's with that what it was that's what it was because that's what i did i mean i stayed i was living in carpinteria and i was planning on starting nails and and that's basically you know i got a job and i was just doing i was planning on starting nails and i started nails and and that's kind of that that's 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 what i did so what was the idea behind it i wanted to do something that was like really anti-social sounding and really different than what was going on around me and my peer group and my mm-hmm. cultural group and um i was like well i'm not gonna do any more like just straight up fast hardcore bands i'm gonna do something that's like noisier and i'm gonna do something that's a little thicker and and a little bit more um I don't even know. I just wanted it to sound ugly. Yeah, you know what I mean. So and, how do you re- how do you recruit for something like that? Well, I mean, I, I, one thing was for sure was that I was going to sing, and that was out of necessity. It wasn't because it was something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was, you know, um, I've been in so many goddamn bands. Like I want to have something that has longevity, and that was really the thing with it. Because I, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I knew at that time that I still wanted to do music and I was going to do music and no matter what I was going to do music, even if I didn't want to, it's just kind of what I did. And I was like, well, I'm going to sing that way. If I have a disagreement with someone, no, you're the band. band. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, and I didn't necessarily, I, I, I had the hunger to be a band. It wasn't like, it was just me and like a couple of the folks. Like I wanted it to be like a unit. It's a a solid insurance policy though. Right, like that's if right. you're singing that's a, and writing all the songs, that's, it's a, like, that's right. You got very fortunate with the the two guys you got, absolutely. But you, the insurance policy was there. Yeah, that's that's that that was like a big part of it. Yeah. So, um, so basically, in regards to recruiting, I just did kind of like local fellows, mm-hmm. like, and um, we we started the band with Tom Hogan on drums, who lived in Santa Barbara, and um, and John, John, who. Um, you know, he's in Ohio, in Ohio and I, I asked him to play bass because, um, I just liked him. I knew he had a good heart and like, he was like, he was a young guy. I mean, I was, I was 26 and he was like 18. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. and it wasn't really that. It's definitely a, a generation deal. younger than us because he like collects fields of fire records and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he definitely a generation below us, and um, and he uh, and and the thing is, it's like I, anytime I've ever like tried to recruit for a band or pick people for a band, it, it has a lot more to do with like um, not do I think this person's cool, but do I, do I think their their heart's in the right place? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, don't like get to tell me I'm the one that chose Ryan to sing. There you go, and man. like that was the only thing he had going for him. <laughs> Dude, Ryan's an awesome frontman. He, yeah. he he really he made like maybe at the beginning it was like like little like um like he 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 found his own I think he I think dude. but it took time maybe it took time yeah but but I didn't I, just like for anybody though right I no, mean, but I wasn't choosing him based on being a frontman because I didn't know what it was yet he'd only done butt slam how do you judge off of him doing like a fucking rudimentary peanut cover by moshing <laughs> yeah. that's how that's how i feel like that's how a lot and of stage, singers get picked yeah. stage diving too right if you're like a if you're like somebody who's awesome at stage diving or yeah. moshing moshing chances are some guitar player is going to come along and be like hey do a band with me yeah that's true well wes he <laughs> yeah. was a good mosher during that's the true. tenured fight I, well, I mean i think that was yeah i mean i think that that's a big reason i mean even george from blacklisted he told me the like he he, he joined blacklisted because uh Tim, one of their old bass players, guitar players, came came up to him and said, "You're a great mosher. Do you want to sing this band I'm doing?" <laughs> and it's like, that, dude, that's just how it is in hardcore. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you got somebody who looks agile and could fucking look awesome in the pit, why wouldn't they look awesome on stage? Let's yeah. just hope they have a good fucking voice and a good stage presence. Well, yeah, and and also like if you're a person that participates in hardcore, you're gonna know what other people are looking for. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You're not gonna like, you know, people that. Pass the mic all sorry and shit. Like, you're on your fucking forehead and shit. It's you need like, someone with confidence. Yeah, you yeah. need someone. And the, that, like, has actually sang along before, and you know how you want it delivered to you. That's I exactly want it delivered right. right in front of my lips, about fucking, you know, <laughs> about an inch apart, you know. Don't hit me in the teeth. Yeah, Don't hit me in the eye. Don't hit me in the teeth, please. You know, but yeah. So, Nail starts, and how long do you jam before you record? Oh, man. I'll and how do you explain what you're going for? I, to I, these guys. I didn't know. I, I I mean I don't. I just we so me and Tom and me and Tom were jamming from like December two thousand seven. Um, we didn't record. I mean we recorded demos by ourselves, like little four track things, but we didn't actually go to the studio to record an actual proper record, which was our first EP until December of two thousand eight. So I mean we were playing music for like a full year until we had six songs that we thought were worthy of putting out on a record. I mean, I have like an, probably an album and a half worth, worth of demos from that time period that, you know, they were just trying to find, to find our sound. Like I chose that HM2 pedal, like because I thought it sounded disgusting, not because I didn't want to sound like entombed. I mean, yeah. nails does not sound like entombed. We don't have no. riffs that sound like entombed. We don't have patterns that really sound like entombed. Like we don't fucking sound like entombed, but we will forever be, Compared to them, just because the guitar uh, tone is so similar, which is fine. I mean, they're a great band. I have no problem being compared to the tune. But um, yeah, I chose that pedal just because it sounded fucking ugly and dirty. And and I was like listening to a lot of fucking like Japanese hardcore, a lot of Scandinavian hardcore, a lot of stuff that's like way more fucking rougher than your average youth crew hardcore. That I the shit that I grew up on and mm -hmm. I still love. Mm -hmm. And um, and I didn't really, you know, I didn't really have. You know, I just love that music. I was just fucking going for it. And um, that's the thing with starting bands. And tell me if you agree or not. But like when you start a band, like when you're starting to control retaliate, you have this idea in your head. And when it comes out and you have a recording of it, for me, it's never exactly like what I want it to be. But luckily, it turns into kind of its own thing. 
Of course. And and that's and that's how I look at nails. Like I I was never really good. Like there's some people out there who could fucking start a band and it will sound like youth of the day or it will sound like confront or it will sound like this or that. I've never been good at that. Yeah. I'm not good at mimicking things or yeah. getting the correct tones or blah blah blah. I just I've always just kind of been influenced by things and luckily for me it's kind of turned into its own thing. And I think that's what Nails did because I didn't know what I was doing at the at the beginning and I mean I it just kind of it just kind of came out and luckily it was luckily you know it's cool i would say you've done a good job of at least going to the right people that can help you along yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and mm-hmm. so like at least that's deliberate yeah like i like it was definitely planned to record with kurt yeah you know? i mean he's he's the best at that kind of stuff as far as i'm concerned yeah so the first recording is obscene man yeah that was recorded um with a fellow named alex estrada at his studio in downtown la called earth capital yeah okay. Mm-hmm. And we did that record there. We did that probably three sessions over the time of two weeks. Um, Dave, who was playing in Blacklisted, who ran six feet under, like yeah, I was, I was at a Blacklisted show, played him demos of what I was doing. He's like, "Hey, I'd love to put this out." It's like, "Sure, this is great." Like, I'm not, I don't have to shop a record. Yeah, here you go. You're my, you're my friend. So easy. Peasy. But you split it on your label too, right? Yeah, I was doing a record label called Street Cleaner Records. Because so. you did the Downpresser. Yeah. And you did what else? Okay, so I first did the Downpresser record. And then my second record was uh, by a band called War Priest, okay. which was based out of Baltimore. They were like a more like a crustier sounding band. And then I don't, I did a third record. This, the Nails record. That's right, Obscene Humanity. So I split that with with Six Feet Under. I was just, I didn't pay for anything on that record. I was just putting my name out there. It's kind of leeching Fuck off. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine. It's no big deal. But yeah. um, but so Dave put that out, and then that came out in April. Um, we played like a handful of shows and then I knew that Tom was moving to Washington DC with his wife. So I was like, Hey dude, listen, you're moving to DC with your wife soon. I'm gearing up to do another record. We're going to write another album. Like, you know, I'm going to get another drummer in the band. Yeah. And like, you know, did I kick him out? I mean, I guess I did, but it was more of just like a coming to terms with things. That's the well, way you, I look. You at have it. experience of doing a long distance band. Yeah. And I didn't want to do, that was one of the things with nails. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do long distance. I wanted all the members to be centrally located. So, yeah. we, so we could rehearse and play and get like a, and actually play. Like I didn't want to be a situation where like we only rehearsed when we had a show or an album to do. Like I actually wanted to play, but um, it's, didn't end up that way. We typically only rehearse when we have something to do now. You yeah. Know what I mean? Just cause I live so far away from everybody, but um, well, it's 10 years later. Yeah, that's right. And like, I don't know, you've been able to keep the band together this whole time, constantly grow, yeah, yeah. have success. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. If I'm, that's I'm, the only, if that's the only departure from like the original like plan. intent yeah. is, oh, we don't jam twice a week, you know, like <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. it, dude. No, no, I get it. Yeah. But, um, but so we, so I got Taylor in the band. So it's me, John and Taylor. And, um, how do you meet him? I just met, you know what, dude, I met Taylor just, uh, in the early 2000s, in the days of AOL Instant Messenger, he, he hit me up. He was like 18 years old. We're talking, I think we're talking 2003 or 2004. And he just, you know, IM'd me out of nowhere. And we just started talking. We would chat every now and then. And um, So he's just a, a couple years younger. Pretty close to you. Seven. Six. Six years younger. He was born in 87. I was born oh. in 81. So he's he definitely like a, yeah. there's definitely like a, a Him and a John difference. are similar. Yeah, I would say so. Well, even they're a little different. 
he has an interesting perspective because he he grew up in Connecticut and got into hardcore probably when he was like 13 or 14 and then moved to California when he was like 17 or 18. So he had a lot of knowledge about, you know, the Connecticut hardcore stuff and like the kind of like... Um, Dude, let's talk about that follow through song. The one good one. Uh, follow through crew. crew straight and true. Yeah, yeah. You don't like you boozy dun, 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 You boozy lose is hard. Yeah. But but that, that riff on the follow through. Fuck yeah, dude. Our version was better too. <laughs> it's well, coming he, out on Stu's uh Reflections tape comp. Is he calling it Reflections? Yes. Cool. The oh, yeah. the clinch fist song. Reflections. That's a good song. Clash was fucking good. You know who else was good? Was FAY. Yes. Um, I will send you the demo. Yeah, I need. I'd never have fucking heard it, but I remember seeing them live and being like, dude, this fucking band smokes. That's what I thought too. I was like, fuck, this is like Pennywise in Nard. Who do you think was was of our era was was the best bands out of all that? Which I don't think Burning Dog ever had like a good recording. Like I thought live they were fucking amazing, and I did like their recordings, but I don't. It it didn't seem like their recordings served them well. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's too hard to say because yeah. like I thought the Fay was probably the best of the live. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw Clinch Fist though. Um, Burning Dog, you know, is if you have a singer, you're going to be a better live band. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know. What Burning do you Dog think? had three singers. Does, does Repeater count? <laughs> repeater was fucking awesome. Because Repeater is the best. If we get to, if unless you consider that a little bit later. No, I don't. Okay. I, that was kind of like the bands from our era. I thought Repeater. I think Repeater and Missing Twenty Third were probably the best ones. I would say Repeater and Missing Twenty Third are the best ones. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Fuck, what were we yeah, talking about? Yeah, you have to yeah, yeah, you have to include Mr. Twenty Third, of course. Yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely old enough. Um But no, I, I like the Burning Dog like recordings. You know he just remixed it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's up on uh Bandcamp. They found like the reels and Armo just fixed everything. What uh what recording? Like, it's like no the demos. Oh okay. the, well the seven inch is a part of it. The seven yeah, inch right. I think is remixed demo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Right. And but there's two demos. I don't know what one the seven inch came off, but Dude, I always love that fucking song. I don't want no more of this bullshit. Yeah. Dude, Bernie, like... They were fucking good, man. What is that sound? Like, Max and I try to describe it a lot, and it's hard because it's like... It's like a... Like a 90s punk sound that's like just filtered through like listening to a lot of heavy metal. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I think... Because I, I, it's beefy, and they don't... They don't... They fuck with melody, but they don't really fuck with melody. It's like... It, it's like they... It's like the age of fat records and epitaph like influenced them like a tiny bit. Yeah. But they did not go in that direction. No. They were definitely more of like aggressive punk yeah. mixed with just like you guys said, just some of that thick the the baseness of the metal stuff, the chunkiness of the metal stuff. But is this is still is, yeah, I don't know. It's just hard for me to wrap my head around like they trying to be like like bone breakery. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's just another one. Like they're, obviously, what's happening is they're stabbing, trying to be something, and it's coming out a different way. Yeah, like just how you talked about that yeah, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. So who knows? Maybe they really were like every single one of them was trying to write their own linoleum, <laughs> and that's just how it came out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like I love them all, and like that sound is just so. I don't. It's just I I love shit like that that cannot be replicated. Like and yeah. that powerhouse LP is the same way. It's like I don't. 
you could never like put people in a room and have them walk out writing a record that sounds like that ever again. Definitely time and place. Type yeah. Thing. yeah. And, and, and I think that when we say of the time or time and place, that's not a knock. It's no. just like, I don't, I don't know. It's how, something that could only exist during that time. Right. Yeah. Right. And so but it's still good. It doesn't mean it was shitty. I know. So yeah. like, I don't know how you describe something like that to make it, to give it like the credence I'm trying to give it. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it's all like all this shit aligned and made something like special. Yep. And it can't do it again. No. Because you're not that age. You like weren't in that place. You didn't have that equipment. Like whatever the fuck ever, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a lot of things are mistakes. Yeah, happy accidents. You know? Yeah, happy happy accidents. That's a way better way to say mistake. <laughs> um, so you do... I've seen Humanity. No. Yes. And then you do Unsilent Death. Yeah, so, so what happened was... is is around July of 2009, I recruited Taylor in the band and I had about five songs worth of material. We got in a room, we recorded it. And that that's like five songs off of Unsilent Death right there. Yeah. And, um, it was rocking. And basically between July and December, you know, I, I, well, first I told his dudes, I was like, look, we're going to go record this record with Kurt. I talked to Kurt, he's down to record it. And, uh, they're like, all right, cool. So we wrote, between July and, and December, wrapped up the last part of the record we needed to do, recorded it at Kurt's, self-financed, mm-hmm. um, because at that time, Nails had played 10 shows, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go record. I wanted, um, that record cost $3,000 to record. Mm-hmm. And I was in no position to ask anybody to give me four digits while in a band that just, you know, played 10 shows and had, you know, we played to 20 people at every single one of our shows, which is fine, but that's where Nails was at. So I decided, okay. What about that show that we did in... Uh, uh, Noxnard. Yeah, that, that was a sick fucking show. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm underselling it a little bit. We played some good shows. Well, that's a retaliate headline, dude. Yeah. 200 well, kids, fool. It was a great show. <laughs> I had a great time. No, I remember, around. man. Hey, that, that was, was a sick show. Yeah, man. It was a great show. But, um, I, yeah, so I, so I was just, you know, I'm going to pay for this myself. We're going to record this, and we're going we're gonna to put it out ourselves. Now, it came out on Six Feet Under and Street Cleaner, but I actually paid for the manufacturing and distribution of all the records. Um, Dave, uh, six feet under did the CD. Yeah. And, um, and so that came out in March of 2010. Um, we did a record release show in Ojai. Um, within a couple months, Greg Anderson from Southern Lord hit us up and, you know, it was cool. He's interested in putting out our band. So we signed a contract with Southern Lord. Yeah. And then they re-released it. They re-released it, um, in November of 2010. So that worked yeah. out really well for me because, um, in order to recoup the manufacturing costs and the cost of the recording, I had to basically sell like 860 12 inches at the oh, yeah. distributed rate, like eight bucks a pop. Yeah. And I was worried. And you had pressed how many? Happen. A thousand. Yeah. And um, luckily, by like July, those have it all sold. I got my money back and fucking Southern Lord bought the record from us. So, you know. That's great. Because I was really concerned, man. I mean, that's like. No, that's like, a lot of money. Yeah, I had like six thousand dollars wrapped up in that thing of like my own money, and I didn't have much of a savings at that time. It was just like, well, I'm just gonna do this. Fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, and it and you know it was cool. And sonically, those first two records are kind of similar. They sound like this the same band. Oh, okay, a lot, right? Don't you think? Oh, like the first two nails records. Yeah, uh, Unsilent so those Death two. and Abandoned. Oh, Obscene Humanity and Silent Death. Yeah. Oh no, I don't, man. I don't. I think I think when we got Taylor in the band, I think that really changed our sound a little bit. He started doing more of the blasting stuff, and um, 
I think the songs are just probably like we we had found we found nails has found our sound on a silent death. Yeah. I think that's I think so. Like from my perspective, I look at obscene humanity as just like a demo. I think that's fair. Yeah, you okay. guys. Well, the, there's a little more of like the the mid tempos. It's hard to say a slower tempo, but yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you're fucking with those tempos. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the jump sonically is the abandoned all life LP. I mean that sounds huge. Oh, I you think, think so? I think it sounds okay, bigger. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it sounds good. way bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean... We spent more time there, and we were a better band by the time we went to record it, so that makes perfect sense. It just sounds more death metal. Okay, cool. You know, more yeah, death metal is. than, like... It, it was. We were definitely going for that more on that record. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Which is your favorite? Of the Nails records? Yeah, I mean, we can get through them all first before... Well, before my favorite you decide ones are the, the You Will Never Be One of Us, but out of those, out of the ones we were talking about, probably... Um, Probably abandon all life. Yeah, yeah. So you will never be one of us as a third LP. And there's actually either I made, did I make a typo? It's three years later. Took about yeah, three no, years. Yeah, that's right. We we usually take about three years to do record. This next one we're doing we're doing four. But yeah. So did more thinking go into like what was harder to write? Abandon all life or you'll never be one of us? They were both equally just as hard. Like they were both very like like very um, labor intensive. Like. Um, like one of the things is, is like I, I couldn't write a record like a year after or two years after of putting out a record because I, something significant had like I don't I can't just put out a record every three three years for the sake of it like there needs to be something like there needs to be a reason for that record to exist either I got something to say or or the music has evolved like the music and everything has to evolve before we're gonna put out another record basically mm-hmm. and that's kind of why it took us three years um, to do that. And I just want to make sure that when we put something out, it's it's worth the ten or fifteen dollars or however much anybody pays to get it. Um, but um, those records were very hard, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were just we just wanted to make sure that we could we could do something that was that that was worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to just do in Silent Death two or or whatever. But that's also that's the thing with nails. I feel like our soundscape is, you know, there's a lot of things we could do, but there's only a certain thing I want to do. So it's kind of like narrow. Yeah. So it's, to- I mean, it is very narrow trying to find new ways to, 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 I don't want to say to do the same thing, but you just got to find new inspiration. You just have to find inspiration basically. And that's, that's kind of why it takes us a while. We just have to, cause you know how it is, man, when you make a record, like you live, breathe and sleep it until it's done. And then when you're done with it, you're like, fuck, that was exhausting. No matter how good it is or, or whatever, you're just like, fuck. I gave that my all. Yeah. Like, I don't want to touch a guitar for the next six months. Yeah. That's how I feel. Well, I haven't played guitar since Smalley broke up, so yeah. <laughs> it's been a few years. But, but didn't you feel that way when you did the control uh, records? Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's very... When you give your all into something, it's very, like... I don't know. It's it's weird. Not in a bad way, but it's exhausting. No, it's weird, com- it's weird coming off it. It's like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, totally. It's... I don't know. It's like a... It's an adrenaline dump. It's like an endorphin yeah. like rush. It's like it's all these things encompassed together. I mean, yeah. more so like when Retali did Thorns, like we really cared about the record and yep. and put everything into it. And then coming out of it was just like, oh, we blew it. No one ever fucking heard it. Oh. <laughs> like maybe a hundred people, you know, or some bullshit. But anyway, one day we'll re-release it and someone will hear it. It's not out but, there, so. No, oh, that came out happened. on like mind disease records. Yeah, okay. like we took gotcha. a chance because like it was it was during like a weird Mandel time when he wasn't like really doing, doing records. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think he was gonna do it and then he decided not to and then he decided to do it and then 
I, I can't really remember, but it was it was the label was kind of hiatus. And yeah. so I was like, let me go with like these young kids that are, you know, they're going to like push it. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I yeah. thought so. And then like they didn't do anything. They ended up just being kind of shy and I just sat you. on them all. And now I'm just buying them off them for a dollar a record. Gotcha. That's but cool. uh, no, it was funny because I was like, that kind of like threw me for a loop. Like, man, why aren't you guys like not pushing this shit? And then I did Somali and I did it myself with the first record I put it out. And like, dude, I wouldn't put that in every single Southern California record store. Yeah. Be, like, because I don't, it was just like, it was really, it, it kind of, I don't know if angered me. I, it frustrated me that like those kids didn't because it's like, well, why would you not want to, even if you're just pressing fucking 500 records with no insert, it's fucking $2,000. You know, don't what, you want to try to recoup. I don't know. But when you and I were doing our first records, which that sounds like experience similar, like we didn't have money to fucking lose. Like, right. And so maybe those guys had like enough money where they could just like dude, take a wash on an album. I right. Don't know. That's Somali. It's like, I just want to get the name out. Like, even if like you're losing the money from like, you know, it's, it's a loss leading thing, right? It's, it, it's good to have your shit in every fucking store and every store took them. I was just like, the fuck you got it. At the end of the day, put your feet on the ground, go and out go and fucking shit. do it. It's the difference between being successful in any aspect of your life. I think when we came up, it was in the mid to late 90s. There wasn't really much infrastructure for us to be able to put things out. Like the only way we could do things was if we went and took it to the fucking store. Yeah. You know, we didn't have, we didn't either know or we didn't have it at our finger. No, no sort of distribution. Yeah. Available to us that would take 50 copies and sell them to no. stores all over the United no. States. No, so we you're going to, and doing it. And most times on consignment, it's like, I'll sell it to you for $2. And shit ain't like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's still like that for some of us yeah. but uh no 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 what i'm saying is like kids don't have to do that anymore like, oh really, they could they, yeah, they yeah, kind of yeah. know that they could get in touch with a distributor like sure. get in touch with death wish get in touch with yeah. revelation because back then like we had i guess there was ebullition we just didn't yeah i wonder why we didn't fuck with that any like more so i bought records from ebullition all the time and kent even though he was fucking grumpy he always gave carry on good reviews and the shit which Dude, i thought was surprising yes they were like really cool like lisa gave the first thing control like uh like my favorite review we ever got that's sick. like even like mentioning like all the lyrics and everything i was like man these are two really rad people i don't know why we didn't work with them a little more it would have made sense but again todd like we we're just young and that was just such a small piece we were of young time and they were they were kind of they were I, older they were older and they I, you could kind of tell even though they did give us good reviews, it didn't seem like they were interested in really having any sort of relationship with us, which is fine. Sure. But, sure. but maybe it was just the age divide. Yeah. And it, it was just like a couple, it was, we were still like proving ourselves. Yeah. And maybe by the time we would have done something with them, we would have moved on to other. Things. I hated the ebullition scene, man. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice that. <laughs> like all like, the bands that played the pickle patch that weren't hardcore, man. Because I would the pickle patch was one of one of the places that we could go for shows. So yeah. I would always go there, and I didn't know who was playing, but I would go, and I would, and I was, I wanted to see hardcore bands, and it was all these bands calling themselves hardcore bands, which is fine, but yeah. they didn't fucking sound like you today. No, and that was a huge disappointment for me. <laughs> yes, and like I, I would ne- at that age, I was too young to be able to. Say, oh, I fucking hate this but it was like i was spending all this time and effort i think you still said that yeah i probably did <laughs> this fucking sucks i mean that was like it was it was interesting place for us because we've i don't i don't know like we're we're pretty like open-minded people to everyone we right? were absolutely but we it's were. like that's a place you go and it's just like there are these weird pc people that want to make you feel like you're fucking a terrible person 
yeah. for just being like a normal person, right? There's a little bit of that, for yeah. sure. Like, do you remember? <laughs> this is fucked up, dude. But I'll tell the story anyway. Yeah. Do you remember there was that like women's march that was going on? I can't remember like what. It, it, okay, there were all these women marching in front of the pickle patch, and they were like chanting. We'll say it once. We'll say it again. There's no excuse for violent men. And there's like all these women marching, like doing a parade. Yeah. And those fucking frat boys rented the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile, <laughs> and they were following all the women around, like in a big hot dog truck. I remember that, dude. Dude, we were like rolling on the ground. But it's like, okay, that's like a douchey, like frat boy move. Yeah. But funny's funny. Fuck yeah. it, dude. Yeah, and I remember, funny. like Steve Aoki was like scolding us. And it's like now you're you're a fucking soundtrack. To, like, look at the shit you're doing, dude. He's famous, man. Come on, he's fucking famous. So, why did we fucking raise money for him to make to recoup his fucking? You know, it's funny about all the fucking <laughs> all out of all the people that like we socialized with, or we were in the same kind of group or culture as. Like, the person to get famous was him. It makes perfect sense when you're like fully fucking set for life, rich. And you and you yeah. never and you never have to compromise anything. There's no like you don't have to worry like, oh, I gotta get a job like selling sandwiches so I can save up money to go on tour. No, that's it's like true. your yeah. fucking parents own Benny Hanna's. Like yeah. you can you're styling. Yeah, he was he was styling. <laughs> <laughs> like you can take some risks and like if like what's I don't know what's his basement. Like, oh fuck, I gotta go live with my folks. Like yeah. They only got like down the, in Newport Beach. I know they only got that back house, at six bedrooms. Fuck, <laughs> you know, like whatever. I Go manage it, dude. I know. And best of luck. I'm not. I'm yeah, not, no, I'm not hating. Me I just, I just, I always thought it was lame. Like he, he did that one show that was like raise money to save the pickle patch. And remember, we all played it. Yeah. Um, and this is another sign of the times. I remember that was the first like hardcore show. Where there wasn't like a touring band and there was no like bigger band on it and it was like ten bucks, and a lot of our friends were like, what "The fuck, dude!" Yeah, like, attend this shit all. You know, like, that was the second pickle patch, right? The last one. It was that final, yeah, that last one, yeah. Okay, yeah. That, yeah. And but the show was at the living room. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did like a benefit show at the living room, and it was like, yeah, and our friends were like, "Why are we coming to pay ten bucks for you guys?" And then like none of us got paid because it was like That's to like benefit. it was a benefit <laughs> for the pickle patch, right? And then, like, a month later, he shuts down the pickle patch. And I was like, dude, what's up? Like, And he was like, well, that was, like, to make all my money back. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, we thought this was, like, we were doing it to, like, keep it alive. Yeah, like, man. Fuck. A great, you know? a great hardcore entitlement. I know. What are you going to do? Yellow <laughs> Peril, dude. That was, his, that was his column. What was it? That was his column in Heart Attack. What was it? Yellow Peril. Oh, my God, dude. Um, so... Abandon all life, and you will never be one of us. Who will not be one of you, and what is the thing? Oh, man, you'll never be one of us. It's just about how, like, um, it's kind of like how you were talking earlier about how you didn't really understand how, like, you know, hardcore and punk rock was a very message-driven kind of genre, and that's mm -hmm. basically what that is about. It's like it's like people trying to fucking impose who got no fucking right, they got no heart, they got, you know what I mean? That's, like that's trying to be in the scene? Yeah. Or just anything, anything in life. But what about rockers that want to be up front and bang their head, dude? That's what's up, man. I got no problem with that. I'm just it's it's just it's just about people who try to attach on to something when they're not pure. They don't got the right intentions and stuff like that. That's just all that's about. That's fair. Yeah. Do you, and do you think that like that perspective of yours is coming from my youth? Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was yeah. wondering if like your your circle's just bigger now of like the bands you've played with and seen and I mean that I mean that's it's it's not definitely definitely it has a lot to do with my youth and it has a lot to do with what's going on now. I would say it had more to do with my youth, but now like dude, there's so much like in nails like I definitely see like my eyes are open. They always have been, but like I just I'm seeing a lot more stuff I haven't seen before. And there's definitely things. It's like, yo, if you're over here, I'm going to fucking stay over here or over there. I don't want to be anywhere near that. So that's definitely inspired that message a little bit. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, it's just that fucking feeling and that anger where it's like, yo, you know, you're in, you're into this fucking thing and, and, and you're so passionate about it. And you see someone come along and just fucking like, you fucking suck. Like you're leech, you're leeching off shit. You don't give more than you fucking take. Like you fucking suck. You need to get the fuck out. Yeah, that's what you'll ne- never be one of us is. Yeah, and I knew, dude. I knew as soon as I fucking thought of that title, I was like, yo, people aren't gonna like this. And I was like, fuck it, I love it. I don't care. Did people not like it? Oh, people. I mean, people. Dude, I get to ask that question all the time. I oh. feel like I feel like I. I don't know. Like people make memes and shit. You know what I mean? Like nails is like a very like memed band. You know, because I mean? of that. I think so. I think because oh, of that, maybe the other things, I don't know. Well, you didn't give them, or you gave them more material, huh? On like the latest I don't thing. I want to know you. Yeah. Yo, dude, that's a fucking great song. Yeah, I would say it's like the catchiest nail song. I right? love that song, man. And, I, and, that's, a and that's the problem, man. You know, we have, a, we have a stash of songs that we have, and we're like, we just, you know, we, we're behind on making an album. So we're just like, let's just put out a couple songs. And I, the, you know, the, the two songs that we chose were the two songs we wanted to put out. And I was like, well, what are we going to call this? I'm like, well, the song is I don't want to know you. I'm not going to change it. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, like, people are going to think it's funny. You will never be one of us. I don't want to know you. Like, but I wasn't going to let something like that. Like, stop no, it's like the catchiest nail song, right? I think so. I like I think that so. And then that, what about the second song? Like, that's the fucking deep dick song. The deep like, dick song. Like, yeah. we're, we're not fucking, <laughs> we're not going to beat around the bush. We're just going to give you the whole thing. Like, yeah, man. right, right up in your guts. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a one, two punch, man. You got the fast aspect and you got the mid tempo aspect. I feel like that's what we do. You know what I mean? We don't have a lot of tricks. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say we're a one trick pony, maybe one and a half trick pony, but well, those are two tricks because those songs are totally different and yeah. both fucking banging. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it was the two best nails. Songs, oh, personally. Thanks, I mean, I've, I've had I've had criticism like that, so yeah. I'm, I'm I'm pretty psyched. So what's the criticism? No, no, I've had that that exact criticism. There, people have been telling me they like them. Oh, criticism in a positive way. Yeah, in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. So okay. we've gotten a lot of good feedback regarding those songs. But got, um, I think it's that that would be a critique. There you go, critique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a critique can be positive or negative. Criticism is always bad. Well, I don't think a critique. Is supposed to be positive and negative. It's more of just like a thought. Like this is my thought. Yeah, like, it can go either way. Yeah, but a criticism is it's always like negative. negative. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I was using that incorrectly. So, but what would be the positive one? An admiration. That would certainly be positive. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we've gotten lots of admiration yeah. on these two. Songs. You've always you've always been good with the English language. You're always well spoken. Uh, well, that's never been my strong point. This is a fucking terrible testament to it you know like the we have this metal guy mark shout out if you made it to uh whatever episode this is 24 or some shit because <laughs> like he listened to the first couple uh-huh. the guy that's our welder he's like dude zach what's up with you saying like all the time you sound like a fucking valley girl <sighs> and then i was like oh right there you know yeah. and then like i I listen to it, I get in my fucking head, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like, oh, and there it is again, right? Once yeah. I start thinking about it, it's like, 
it's just the way I talk. There's yeah. nothing I can do about it, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So love it or leave it, you know. Well, that's also one thing is like when you choose to be in a band, like you don't really know it at the time, but you you're also choosing all these other hats to wear because it's not like you just have to be the singer or the guitar player. You have to be the guy who does interviews. You if your band makes a video, like what does that mean? Do you have to be an actor? Like, yeah. like, 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 like there's a lot of roles that yeah. you assume when you decide to be in a band and I don't know, like you're, you, this has led you to a podcast and now you're, you're going to want to clean up your language or not your language, but you'll want to clean up, clear clean up your diction. I mean, it's just, yeah, like you, man, I, mean, I, I couldn't do a podcast. I, of that. You just, I, here's what I think, dude, it's been nothing but positivity so far. Yeah. Probably yeah. because it's not that popular. So it's like the so mostly like you know if you're on a smaller scale, it's most of your friends and and people that think of you positively listening to it, right? I think the criticism comes when you like get a little bigger because yeah. then you have like negative people trying to chop you down. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you just have to do something, and like so the the impetus of the podcast was um, that Damien dude from Fucked Up, yeah, he does a podcast and. He used to, in a lot of his earlier episodes, he talked a lot about Nardcore and Mystic. And I would like, yeah, a lot. That's awesome. Like, he just seemed really interested in it. He's definitely a super record collector guy. He's definitely a super record collector guy. And so I emailed him, like, maybe once or twice, him or his brother, because I think his brother helps him out with, like, his social media accounts. Mm. And I was like, dude, if you like all that Mystic stuff, like, you got to, like, get Tony Cortez on your shit. Because, like, he's a fucking dude that like he's not fucked up no he's and he was there from the beginning yep like so it's like you can have this perspective of like 1980 on and he's there for you like you know and they never even like respond or anything and then i was just thinking to myself i'm like why am i i'm fucking 39 yeah why am i emailing another man telling him hey you should do this you know (laughs) it's like no i have the means i can go out and get equipment and i'll just fucking do it and if People like it, they like it, and if they don't, they, they don't. don't. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, again, like, I'm old enough, and I I know how to deal with, like, that negative energy, like, like how we were talking about the Teamwork Records guy. Like, it wouldn't bother me now, because, like, we can look at it, and it's like, you're giving off this negative energy to me for no reason. You're the loser. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, by yeah. you big-timing, what, you're going to big-time a fucking 20-year-old? Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. you're a fucking dork, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So it's like, that stuff doesn't bother me. So if someone wants to come at me, and he, like, the welder dude was, he, he wasn't, like, really busting my balls. Yeah. But if someone came at me, like, oh, like, the way you talk is sorry, or, like, you're stupid, or some shit, it's like, whatever, like, you can do your own. You know, yeah, no, I know. Yeah. so I'm, I'm ready for the criticism, basically, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I also think I, I do a, like objectively, I think I do a pretty good job. I think you do too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so I mean, I try to do a little bit of my homework with you. It's easy because I've known you no, forever for and I know like most of the songs, but for some people I have to like go and listen to things. And like, you know, if some of the stuff I like, like doing Tim from amenity, like his whole discography is not necessarily easy to get. Yeah. And like, I really wanted to do a good show with him because people look at him like they look at Tony Cortez and Nard. Absolutely. You know, and I'm like, I'm not going to fucking put this guy in a position to fail. Like, I yeah. want him to come off really well. So I, I made sure I cut all his records That's and listen awesome. to them all. You know what I mean? Like, That's cool. you got to go that extra mile of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So Nails is firing, dude. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And forever. Why would you ever stop? Oh, stop doing nails? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I will. Yeah. yeah you yeah, do it yeah. when you're 50? 
Uh, I, I guess I, I I don't I just look what I what I look at is 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 the next LP in front of us. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what we're doing now. We're trying to write another record. I mean, we are writing another record, but uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes, man. I mean, I, I if I could do nails when I'm fifty, I'll do it for sure. I mean, I think I'll always play music. Um, I'm not. I, I I don't know. I've kind of surprised myself in my own path through music. Um, you know, when I was younger, I didn't think I'd. I'd I'd, I'd be doing music until I was, you know, I'm 38 now. So I didn't think I'd be doing music this long. So I don't, I just kind of keep it open-ended and just do what I can do. I'm just lucky because, uh, I'm lucky that nails is in a position where we're in. It's cool. I'm psyched on it. It's a lot of fun. Again, luck is like a, a, if we want to chew into our language, that's a weird word, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Luck's not the word. But but I'm, I'm, we're fortunate that there's an audience of people who are interested in doing the things that we would do. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, if Nails, you know, drew 50 people still, I'd still play shows. It just would be a lot less. You know yeah. what I mean? But I'd maybe play two or three shows a year. Yeah. Um, but we're fortunate that we have a that we have a following to where we can, you know, go to Toronto, Canada, or go to New York City or whatever and have a pretty banging show. Yeah, and that there's enough like psychos out there that can like have that type of music in their palette. Yeah, relate with it. Right? Because like <laughs> I was gonna say, like, so Abandon All Life to me, like I I love the production. Uh-huh. I think it's like perfect death metally sounding, right? <laughs> You'll never be one of us, like the first time I listened to it, I was like, I think I was driving to Oregon mm. and I was like in this with our company, you know, we build stuff here and then we got to go deliver it. And I was driving to this Penske. And so a lot of those, like the, the systems are going to be sorry, right? Yeah. They're not putting a banging system into the Penske. Yeah. And fucking, you will never be one of us. Like that thing surges so hard. Like, I don't know. Like it was like, I can't even tell what I'm listening to right now. Like oh, cool. this is fucking wild. That's you know, awesome. it's just like, like i don't know the speakers didn't know it was like i don't know it was like a fucking teenager's brain that's awesome it didn't know how to like have this music sonically come out of like this shitty speaker system you know (laughs) i was like i gotta wait until i get home and listen to this like at my house you know what i mean because i can't like even hear how it sounds right now it was surging too hard it's awesome um do you want to talk about fireburn yeah Okay, so what was the idea for doing this band? So I met I met Todd Youth um, at a Power of the Riff when Nails played. We played uh, Power of the Riff with Neurosis, and the prior day Blood Clot played, but we couldn't go see him. But um, Joey and Todd, the drummer and the guitar player from Blood Clot, came and I just to hang out, and they checked out Nails, and I met them at that show, and I met Todd Youth, and. Uh, I mean, that was kind of a big deal for me because, you know, you remember, I mean, I, Warzone was one of the first hardcore bands that came across, I think, all of our radars. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Roger Camaro had that double disc mm-hmm. or the Another Planet CD of the first two albums. And so that was something we all jammed. Yeah. So I was like, wow, man, it's fucking Todd Youth. Like, I, he didn't play on those records, but he made a lot of those songs. So it was, just, it was like, wow, that's fucking cool. And I just hit him up. I'm like, yo, man, you want to go get lunch sometime? He was like, sure. So we went and uh, we went and got lunch one day. I drove up to where he lived. We got lunch in Hollywood, and uh, we had a really good time. And then a month later, I saw him at um, a show in Hollywood. He's like, "Hey, man, you want to do a band?" And I was like, "Fuck! Like, I would love to play music with you, yeah." And um, I'm like, "I can only really like get together like once a week or once every two weeks." He's like, "Yeah, it'll be a side project, no problem." I'm like, "What do you want it to sound like?" He's like, "Let's do something that sounds like Agnostic Front." <laughs> I'm like, fucking count me in, dog. <laughs> like, let's do it. And so um, 
He's like, do you know any drummers? So I was like, yeah, I know this great drummer and a buddy of mine, Nick, who I played a knife fight with. Fucking phenomenal drummer, drummer, phenomenal person. We got together and it was just, it was magic. Me, Nick, and Todd got together in a room and it was just fucking on. And, you know, we were, I mean, it was just awesome. Like we had like a really great chemistry with us. And, um, and uh, we're talking mid 2017. Nails goes on tour. And we had like 10, 10 of these demo songs that we have, like half of them sounded like, like the first agnostic front seven inch, like that kind of style. And then the other half of them sounded a little bit more like musical, I guess it sounded like a little bit more like the bad brands. And, um, I came home from tour and Todd had these demo songs. He's like, listen to this. And he played one of the songs and it was, it was Israel singing on it. I had no idea who was singing on it. And I was like, holy fuck, dude. Who's a singer? It sounds like HR. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's Israel. He's saying on Rise. I was yeah. like, oh, where does he live? He's like, oh, he lives in Santa Monica. And it's like, well, I guess we got our singer. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Israel joined the band. And uh, I don't know, like musically, that's like that was like a really, 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 really great time. Like I really had like very good chemistry between Nick and Todd. But basically what happened, dude, is the band like, I mean, I guess it, I don't want to say it got popular, but it got a lot of attention. And the fact of the matter is it was getting offered like a lot of tours and a lot of shows and I couldn't do them because, you know, it, it was supposed to be a side project band. But slowly but surely it was, you know, kind of getting turned into like a, well, it was too good. a real band. You right? know what I mean? It was, I, I, it was good. I wish it would have stayed the and way it was. And it was so like, I don't know, that record cover the first one is like beautiful yeah man so it's like you come out with that off the gate yeah it was hot man i mean people fucking people seem to like it i mean i i was i was fucking psyched on it i was super proud of it i loved playing with those guys but the fact of the matter is it was popping and i had to take a step back and so they did some shows without you but you still did like the second record and shit i mean they did a whole tour without me i mean because i i stopped playing in december and then but but we had recorded that two song seven inch uh-huh. and that came out, I think in the spring, but they, they did like a GBH, like half the United States and they did dates here and there. They probably played about 30 shows. Were you in the band there. though? Or you, no. you actually left the band. I left the band. Yeah. yeah. I left the band in December of 2017 and then they, and then Todd passed in the summer, <laughs> I think. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Fireburn was a great, a great experience, but also, uh, I don't know. I wish I, w- I wish uh, things would have worked out a little bit differently. How old was he? Do you know? Yeah, Todd was um, when he passed. I think he was forty eight years old, which is like kind of crazy if you think about it, because because he was like young. thirteen in nineteen eighty two, right? Yeah. So it's like that's amazing to like that's something to I don't know. It's something to strive for. Like he did a great band, like. You up know, until well, the end yeah I yeah mean, man he he had it going on man that dude was i mean he was a great musician on yeah. and a great musician in a great mind for sure yeah, yeah yeah i learned a lot from playing music with him that's so cool yeah i'm psyched um anything else you want to touch on uh no no that's it okay i think we went all the way through to okay uh, cool is there anything else no yeah, that's how we all do right. it i just ask do you feel like you've been well represented do you feel like we went through and did everything good? Oh, um, we probably talked about things that I didn't really care to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> I don't mean that in a negative way. I'd be mean like, dude, you really did your homework, man. I mean, not like you had to, but like, I was really surprised. This was really cool. I mean, we talked about everything. Um, we didn't really talk about Snake Eyes that much, but that was. Oh, sort you know of, what? That kind of. Yeah, you know why? Because you jumped right from Betrayed to Nails. Yeah, that's. So, yeah, so you cut it out. So Snake Eyes is in. 2007 it must have been right before you went 
to play with Blacklisted. Yeah, basically. Like, um, it, I think the demo, we did the demo in 2005, early 2005, and I think it was in the thick of internal affairs. Okay. But, um, but me and Corey, we just, we started that band and got Bo on vocals and, and did a demo and then did a seven inch and that was pretty much it. I mean, the band didn't really do a whole lot, but. What did you do? Uh, just a demo. And, yeah. And a is seven that, inch. Is it two different recordings? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so is the demo available? Did it come out? We put it out on CDR. Okay. Like, I don't think it's, I don't even think it's like floating around the internet or anything like that. Yeah. It's probably on YouTube. You speed picked on one of those songs, didn't you? Yeah, I love tremolo picking. <laughs> okay. It's like my favorite shit. That's where, what that was my Slayer influence when I. That's all I learned was Metallica, Slayer, Nirvana songs. Yeah, that was a good band. Do you, and it, it just it was bad timing, right? Because you did it right before you. Yeah, I don't. I, right I, before you went and did blacklisted. I, yeah, I mean everybody like Corey had internal affairs. Like I, I don't know if it like the chemistry was right. Like really, it wasn't like a band anybody pursued. You know. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Cool. You want to rap on uh, Snake Eyes? Nah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Thank you, Todd. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah.